This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Cam F. Awesome, aka the Motivational Comic. He's a former Olympic heavyweight, multi-time national champion boxer with over 400 win- wins under his belt. He rose to fame after being featured in the Netflix documentary Counterpunch, which chronicled his Olympic journey. Today, Cam uses his wit, humor, and life experiences to inspire and entertain audiences around the country as a motivational speaker and comic. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. So obviously that goes a little bit of, into your journey, some of the stuff you've, you know, you've done in your life, but what's kind of been your journey to now, you know, the in-between? Uh, so I guess growing up, the thing I valued more than anything, and it's the reason why I feared being in timeout as even as a kid, I hated being in timeout because I valued time and I'm not able to articulate that until now as I'm older, but I've always valued time. And I realized adults spend most of their time working and all adults, like everyone I know with a job growing up when I was like eight or nine was broke. Like everybody I knew, like everybody had a job, but they were broke. No one's balling. And the only person who's more broke than a person with a job is someone with two jobs. So I figured if I was going to spend most of my time working, I wanted to do something I loved. And my favorite show growing up as a kid was all that. Do you remember uh, uh, Nickelodeon? They had this like orange couch and I've always wanted to sit on that couch when I was a kid. And I didn't know how I was going to get on TV. And my idea, uh, what I want to do for a living is I just want to be on TV and be a performer. And I didn't know how to do that. Uh, and when I was 14 years old, I figured out this equation that unlocked everything for me. Uh, I was trying to lose weight and I, cause I was insecure about myself and I tried, er, tried out for every team. I couldn't make a team cause I wasn't athletic and I, Figured uh, I was in class one day and they, they explained how calories work. Uh, so basically the person burns like 2000 calories a day. And uh, if you consume 2000 calories, you break even. And that's when the equation clicked in my head. So to lose weight, and I figured out the formula to lose weight. If you burn more calories than you consume, you will lose weight. Everything else is marketing. If you strip everything down, I know there's a lot of other stuff, but when you strip everything down of all the nonsense, it's this equation. One plus two equals three. In this equation, I am one. You should always be your own number one. You should be your biggest fan. That's why I changed my last name to awesome because I believe in believing in yourself. No one's going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself. Uh, Number three in this equation is what the goal is. One plus two equals three. You plus two equals the goal. In this equation, what is two? Two is everything you need to do to get there. Now, you could accomplish two. So in boxing, I figured out. So uh, I figured out one plus two equals three. So I started to uh, go to the boxing gym because you didn't have to make a team. So I just got to work out. And no one coached me, but... I figured out this equation. One plus two equals three. Me, number one, and three is winning. Well, if I don't get hit, I win, right? One plus two equals three. Roman, this, it sounds so basic, but I believed in this equation so much that within two months of me ever getting in the ring and sparring, I knew I was going to be the best boxer in the country. Of course, like no one else believed me because I had a very awkward style and I taught myself how to box. It's not very conventional. It looks goofy. People laugh at it, but I don't get hit. One plus two equals three. So my goal was 
I figured out I unlocked something with boxing. I don't like boxing, by the way. I'm not a, I don't watch it. I'm not a fan of it, but I figured out how to win. Uh, and within, within two years of boxing, I qualified for the 2008 Olympic trials. And so it's like my formula worked. Uh, and it was surprising to everybody how a guy who's never boxed before was beating everyone easily. Uh, and I was, I'm six, two and I'm fighting super heavyweights. So I'm fighting guys like 260, 270, and I'm beating them. Why? Because I just run from them until they get tired. And then I hit them. That simple. One plus two equals three. So my thought process was I go, I'm going to win the Olympics, and then I'm going to get on TV and do these funny interviews, and then I'm going to get my own TV show. That was the goal. So my mind, one plus two equals three. So now the bigger equation is me Getting to the Olympics equals getting a TV show. So number two in this equation was I just had to go to the Olympics. So 2008, I qualified for the Olympic trials, but I lost. Uh, I, I kept boxing. I won nationals in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. I was basically winning nationals every year pretty easily. Uh, I just Everyone just assumed I was going to win. And no one liked it because I, I have a very awkward way of fighting. Then I won the 2012 Olympic trials. Everything is going as planned with this equation. Uh, and to just kind of show where I was mentally, when I won my first national championship in 2008, they make you fill out this interview. So like you, you write your height, your weight, uh, like your reach, hometown, Southpaw, whatever. And the last question was, what do you want out of boxing? And most people put heavyweight champion, millions of dollars, Olympic gold medal. I put to be a good role model and have my own TV show. That's where my mind was. So now fast forward 2012, I'm heading to the Olympics. I, I leave the country to fight in Azerbaijan uh, in the, to qualify for the world games. And I forgot to tell the drug testing agency I was leaving the country. And they showed up to my home to give me a random drug test. I wasn't there. A missed drug test is a, a positive drug test. I was suspended for a positive drug test and kicked off the Olympic team in 2012. Uh, that was a, a rough time for me because in my head, this wasn't a part of the equation. Now, another thing about the equation I have to share, one plus two equals three. That two, the reason why I call it number two, because it is what it sounds. It's a shitty part of the job. It's the part that you don't want to do. And you can do it while you're hungry. You can do it while you're sad. You can do it while you're happy. You can do it while you're hangry. As long as you get it done. So your emotions don't matter when it comes to this equation. Now, I, I, I do believe in mental health and all that, but feeling sorry for yourself or disappointed, nah, nah. You just got to keep going. That, that doesn't, that's how the equation doesn't work. One plus two equals three. Uh, so after my, my year suspension, I started drinking for the first time. I gained a lot, a bunch of weight. Uh, I got up to 277. Uh, and cause I, I, I lost everything I'd had. I put everything into boxing. I want to tell you, like I, I stopped going to school. I stopped, I did nothing. I obsessed over boxing because here's something else I figured out along the way. Roman, name one person that has accomplished anything great that you can think of who's like the best who practiced moderation. Yeah, nobody. <laughs> Honestly. Moderation leads to mediocrity. And all you have to do is all you have to do is just give more effort. Now, here's a theory I'm playing with. I Roman, I don't think there's a difference between stupidity and laziness. If you do something wrong because you're stupid or you do something wrong because you're lazy, you still did it wrong, right? So if stupidity and laziness go hand in hand. Then with enough effort and discipline, you can be a genius. In, in whichever realm you want to be in, if you put enough time and effort into something, you become a genius. Now, that was my approach with boxing as somebody who was very unathletic and didn't understand, like, I don't lift weights or anything like that. I didn't physically look like a boxer, but I figured out how to win. Uh, but I had lost all that momentum in 2012 because, you know, I had all of this 
I, I lost everything. Uh, I was embarrassed uh, because the ESPN article that came out said, like, uh, I failed to meet drug test requirements, which, of course, that means I failed the drug test. So everyone's looking at me like I, I like I like I pissed dirty or like I was doing like there was something in my system. And the same week that they went to test me, I was in Azerbaijan where I had to get drug tested to even fight in that tournament. Uh, and what was weird was they went to the wrong address. Well, I changed, I never updated my address because I came back to the United States and I continued fighting and winning tournaments while I was suspended. I never went home to check my mail because I didn't live there anymore. Uh, so during that year's suspension, uh, I gained a lot of weight, started drinking and was going into a spiral and uh, lost a bet. And because I was doing personal training. So imagine this one week. I'm going to the Olympics. I'm training to go to the Olympics. I'm on like ESPN articles. I'm doing all this type of stuff. And then the next week I'm putting ads in on Craigslist to find people to do personal training for because I need to pay my bills. All my sponsorships, everything is gone. And the only client that I had was some guy reached out. He was 45 years old and wanted to have his first boxing match. And I'm like... You know, a week ago, I thought I was going to the Olympics and here it is. I'm, I'm coaching a guy and he shows up. He's 45 years old. He's overweight and he has a knee brace on. So he can't even get in the ring with his knee brace. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is rock bottom. Uh, but I was training him and, and he was he was vegan. And I ended up losing a bet to him. Uh, it was Manny Pacquiao versus Timothy Bradley. And I bet on Pacquiao and, and I lost and I had to be vegan for 28 days. And the diet also entails sobriety, which meant for 28 days, I couldn't drink, which meant for 28 days, I had to deal with my problems without the aid of alcohol, which was a a rough 28 days, uh, mixed with the fact that I had to just eat vegan for a while. And that wasn't uh, appetizing for me at all. Uh, But after 20, after 22 days, your taste buds adjust. And this is what like, I'm learning about the human body, how, how, how quickly we can adapt. It takes 22 days for your taste buds to adjust. So after 22 days, this food started to taste good. And I started to crave it. And I realized what you eat is what you crave. And it, took those, it takes 22 days to break at least your taste bud, ha- taste bud habit. And day 27, I started to feel good. I was losing weight. I lost 32 pounds in this 28 days doing this, uh, this plant-based challenge. And because I felt so good, I, I said I wasn't going to be vegan, but I was going to do it just for a little bit longer, just because I started to look good. And it made me more of a positive person because I was sober. And I realized I wanted to return to boxing. So I decided I was going to return to boxing because I had nothing else. I had no other options. I, I put all my eggs into this basket. But I said, if I return to boxing... I'm going to come back and be bigger than amateur boxing. Uh, I felt like boxing had took, taken everything from me and I got nothing left in return in 2012. But I said, when I returned to boxing, I was going to come in a different way and I was going to have a different approach at an entire career, not just boxing. And the first thing I decided to do was I legally changed my last name to awesome. Uh, I did it for a few reasons. Uh, one, cause it's cool. Uh, two, it was $178. Uh, three, it's hard to be grumpy when your last name is awesome Four, every interaction. I have somebody, I check into a hotel, your name's awesome. Ah, that's awesome. We have a great conversation. It's a great icebreaker. There isn't a bad reason why my last name is awesome, but I did it because I did it for the same reason why I believe some people get face tattoos. So when you get a face tattoo, you do it knowing, well, I'm not going to live a normal life anymore. I'm committed to whatever I'm doing now. And when I changed my last name to awesome, I threw a party and I did it on my half birthday. So now I celebrate both. Uh, February 16th, Cam F. Awesome was born. And August 16th, we mourn the death of Lenroy Cameron Thompson. Uh, but I returned to boxing. I won nationals. I reclaimed my spot as the number one heavyweight in the country. And then Netflix uh, wanted to do a documentary on it and follow me around, which was a really cool experience. I'm so glad that I did it. 
not sure I would do it again. Uh, it, it's very invasive and I'm kind of a personal person like, but, uh, but Netflix followed me around. I won nationals in 2013, 14, 15, and then 2016, I won the Olympic trials again. Uh, Netflix follows me around for all that. Now I'm back where I left off in 2012, exact same position, just four years older, a lot more experience. But in these past four years, not only was I boxing, I knew I needed a way out after boxing because in 2012, I had nothing. So I needed to put myself in a position that when I'm done with boxing, I have a life that's easy where, because this all started because I value time. I wanted to do what I want with my own time, which was perform. So when I would go around, let's say I fought in Dallas, I'd reach out to schools in Dallas and speak at schools for free. And I would take time out of my day to do that because, and no one understood why I was doing it at the time because I was a terrible speaker. And I'm like, oh, after I do 200 of these, I'm going to be dope. And I was also doing stand-up comedy because in 2012, when you're sad, I guess people do stand-up comedy. And I started performing and I realized, like I started performing at, so I understand value. I have a great understanding of value. Uh, or at least how to leverage my value. Stand-up comics, I started to perform all over because it doesn't matter how funny you are. It matters how many tickets you can sell. And because I had boxing and people support me in boxing, I was able to sell tickets in every city I went to. So I started to perform at all these places that I didn't really deserve to perform in because I wasn't that funny yet. Uh, But I realized the most you ever make is like $40 in a bar tab, and I wasn't drinking. So I realized... Oh, I can start practicing doing jokes at schools for students instead of going to open mics. And the students started to like the jokes. And I'm like, well, forget the speech. I'm just doing jokes for students. And I kind of merged motivational speaking into my stand-up comedy because I wanted to perform. I've always wanted to perform. That was the goal. And back in the day, I said I wanted to be a good role model and have my own TV show. So I was getting closer to my goal. But I'm not making a living doing it. I'm still doing it for free all over the country or making $40 for bar tabs. Now it's 2016 and I have to win in Argentina uh, to qualify for the actual games. And I lose in the finals on a split decision. Uh, And I remember when I lost, the first thing that went in my mind was, all right, how are we going to spin this? Because... I already have momentum. I have news that like news, they care. You have, you have a small bit of, of time where people actually care about your problems. And like, I'm relevant to like news stations and sports stations, stuff like that. So as soon as I lost, I went to Twitter, I post, uh, lost my fight today. My Olympic run is over time to re re reinvent myself and see what's next for me. It may not be boxing. I knew exactly what it was. It was going to be speaking. But if I were to tweet that me, the most decorated, like I've won more national championships than uh, any other boxer. Uh, I've won four Golden Glove Nationals, six USA Nationals, three National Pals, like five or six ringside championship. I've won a lot of championships. No one would understand why I wouldn't just turn pro to make millions of dollars. Because this entire time I'm broke. So when you're boxing and you're on Team USA, you only make $12,000 a year. So like, let's do some math on that. Let's say $500 for rent. Ha, ha. But let's just say $500 for rent. Uh, $200 for car insurance. Let's say $100 for your cell phone. $200 for food. Well, where are you going to get gas, supplements? What You have a lot of things you need. So like, I struggled so for the life for the life of someone, I know they couldn't understand why I wouldn't just turn pro and make millions of dollars in boxing. But if I did that, I would be stuck doing that. And what I want to do is what I want to do with my time. It's never about money. I just want to do what I want to do with my time. And I just want to perform. Uh, so I formed Awesome Talks LLC, my speaking business I'm currently doing now. And uh, I got in my Prius and... A year later, I took off and I went on a 51-day speaking tour at high schools and middle schools. Uh, I was 
not making much. I was making enough to get me to the next location. But I realized I'm, I love stand-up comedy and I understand how comics work. You have to perform like locally and then you perform regionally. And the more stage time you get, the better you get. So if I want to get better, one plus two equals three. I'm number one. Number three is getting good at performing. Number two is performing, right? So I got in that prayer. I did a 51-day road trip. That was the plan. And I knew once I hit all these schools, it'd be great. And, and I was just making enough to get to the next school. And I, I remember I left. It was on April 1st. I left my house, April 1st, 2017. And I was driving to Florida for a gig. And I made it three hours into it. And I totaled my Prius. And I didn't have enough money to like rent a car. So I had to like, I got someone to take me to a rental place and I just rented a car for a day. Uh, cause they let you rent it for a day. I only had a debit card. I lost big on that trip. Uh, but I continued, but the insurance money I got from totaling that Prius, I bought a van and I lived in my van for three years and traveled around speaking at about 200 schools a year. Why? Because I, I realized I wanted to make a career out of speaking. And most people are worried about making money. I'll eventually make money. I want to be unfreaking deniable. So like when I get on a stage, I want, if, if, if you go to a, a conference and there are five speakers and you see five speakers that day, I don't want you to remember the other four's name. I'm taking the same competitiveness I had in boxing to speaking. And I take speaking very seriously. So, uh, the, I started to started to make a little bit of money from started to build my business. I'm taking these online uh, courses. Uh, people just give out courses for free with free information. That's the the wild thing. And I realized why you can give all the information in the world. Most people don't have the discipline to follow through. We will read someone's book because we respect their opinion. We want their advice. We want to change our lives. And every time we get to an action step, where they say, don't go any further, don't change this, don't, don't turn the page until you do this action step. You're going to want to skip it, but don't skip it. We still skip it. It's like, I decided I didn't want to be that person. So now when I meet with someone, if, if one of my, my ideas to build where I'm going is when I meet with someone, I want to know everything they know. Like I meet people, I don't drink coffee. I meet with co people for coffee all the time. Whether you're successful or not, tell me everything you did wrong. Unsuccessful people got some of the best advice in the world. I met a lot of them. And a lot of them are disguised as successful people. Like the, the people who've made it, like nice house, nice car. Those are the unsuccessful people I'm talking about. Like is those are the people who failed the most to get there. They have, and also the people who didn't make it. Uh, so I, my, my goal was to, to, when I first started, my goal was to, to perform. Uh, and to do that was through boxing. And I built this career in boxing for myself. And I'm living in the van. Now it's 2000, 2019. And I realized the Olympics is coming up again. This would be realistically my last shot. Now, I've been going after this goal since like I started boxing in 2005. 2008, I qualified for the Olympic trials. I lost 2012. I won the Olympic trials. I got suspended 2016. I won the Olympic trials lost in the split decision on finals. Now it's 2020 coming up. I'm like, okay, let's go all in. If, if I'm, I'm literally going at school, speaking about resilience, speaking about never giving up, I got to be about that life. Right? So, uh, I went to sign up for team USA and they wouldn't allow, wouldn't allow me because, uh, they said I would have to quit my business. They don't allow you to work. They want you to live at the training center with all the other athletes. And like, I can't live on $12,000 a year anymore. Uh, so I flew to Trinidad and Tobago, my dad's home country. And, uh, I, I got dual citizenship, won their Olympic trials, uh, came back to the U S and I was speaking at schools, performing, uh, stand up, emceeing vegan festivals. Cause I'm still vegan. And, uh, and training for the Olympics. And then the pandemic happened. So it killed that goal once again. Uh, and that since then I've shifted into uh, going full-time into speaking. And I believe in the whole model of go hard or go home. Uh, I'm living in hotels. Uh, I've booked gigs, pretty much a gig every day until uh, the end of March.
So as right now, I'm, I'm in a hotel in Arizona. I'm speaking in Chandler in the morning. Uh, and I do have a vision for where where it goes from here, but I feel like I've been rambling. Yeah, and it's uh, I think it's important to uh, to see that paths are not necessarily like what you define them as. Like you have a vision of success or your goal, but you may get to your goal in a more unconventional way that you had in your mind. So, like really, like you said, that equation, like the number one is you, but that number two, yeah, it's that hard work, it's that stuff you may not want to do, but it may not even be like what you thought it would be. You know what I mean? So like I had a goal, like you said, time right now, time is the most important thing. You're never going to get back time. You can always make money. You can always get material things, time. You can't, you know, I was just actually thinking I'm 38. I was like, I was just 18 a second ago. So people like, there's a lot of motivational speakers out there, people out there, you have all the time to, to fail. I, I do agree, like, you know, you need to learn from your failures. And uh, if you fail, it doesn't mean the end of the world and everything in life is a lesson or a blessing. But t- like, you have to operate on urgency. And I kind of try to do that. And I try to do like, you know, somebody's coming for you, like the, the boxing uh, analogy. Like if you're number one, if you, you know, fall off or you become complacent, there's a million hungry people that are willing to take your spot. And there's always somebody out there willing to take that and willing to put in the work if you're not willing to do it. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't act. They're very talented. I've I've hired a lot of people. I've worked with a lot of people. I've interacted with a lot of people in, in life where they have all the potential in the world, but don't act on it. You know, that potential, if you don't do anything with it, like, you know, what 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 is it truly? And, you know, you took something, you kind of went all in like that kind of burn the ships approach and you're going to get it done. And I mean, I I value that and like, you know, putting in the time to actually like honing your craft of speaking and not necessarily getting paid for it. That's going to be more valuable in the future. You know what I mean? Because if you're just limiting yourself, well, you know, you may have spoken at 200 places, but if you focus on the money, you may have only spoken at 10. What kind of value did you get in terms of speaking in you know 200 things versus 10 so you have to really take everything as an opportunity i think and take advantage of you know anything you're dealt in life take advantage and run it run with it to the fullest because you never know where you're uh, gonna end up oh yeah for sure for sure and uh it it you, you can fail as many times you want it's just so the one of the big quotes in all of my talks is if you can fail without being discouraged success becomes inevitable so like my thought process is I, I don't even care about failing. Like I'm, I identify with failing. It's like, I want, when you think about failures, I want you to think about me. I like, I, I take pride in it. And it took a while to train myself to that point. But like the idea of failing is like failing is how you get better. Failing is how you get experience. There's, for example, I've got 400 wins in boxing, but I've got 39 losses. 39 losses. Now, here's an example of what I've learned in those losses. I fought a dude named Roberto Camarelli. He came from Italy to the U.S. to fight me in Reno, Nevada. He was the number one boxer in the world. But if you think I'm going to let some dude come to my country and beat me in my hometown, nah. So I was super excited for that fight. And I got we got in the fight. We're in the middle of the ring. And I get hit twice. And I don't see his hands move. And I was like, oh, no. And I lost that fight badly. Like, I lost. And the things that he, – he treated me like a child. Like, because he was just so much more experienced than me. And I learned there's levels to this. And the things he did to me in that fight, once I started fighting again domestically against people here in the U.S., it, it was like child's play. And I was only able to beat people in the U.S. that easily. No one could beat me. In the, I'm, I became very – I dominated here in the U.S. It was hard internationally, but I would learn from all my losses. So imagine how many different things I learned from all those 39 losses. But imagine how many times we lose and we're like, well, I'm discouraged now. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to actually use the tool I got from this loss. Yeah. I mean, you learn more from like 
the the loss than, than a win because if you just keep winning you don't necessarily you may not even define like what that success is like you don't know what caused that win if you keep doing it over and over again it may be you know the right time right place right time whatever variables but like you said like when you lose you adapt so you either you know get better you take something from it ideally you take something from it and not harp on it you know you separate the emotion from the you know what what i can actually take and and implement and then become that much better i mean in life and in business you take that or you figure out that you know it's it may be time to pivot like for you maybe then like after that loss you lost 15 times in a row and it was just like well maybe it's time to move on to something else but like if you didn't experience that you wouldn't have run into it so it's kind of like that that pool also can can obviously impact that so they say i guess if you put a shark i don't know some type of shark or whatever in an aquarium it'll only grow to like whatever eight inches a foot if you have the same shark in the ocean you know what i mean where you have like bigger predators or whatever it can be like 12 16 feet or something crazy so like if you're never challenging yourself and putting yeah if, if you're not putting yourself in a place where like there's all these killers around you regardless of what you're doing to really prove and test yourself and then okay there's this person beat me cool but like what did i get out of it you know this style this technique like you know he finished around this way or like he took a lot of time whatever you learn from it you learn from it and then you can adapt to situations but it's really like also surrounding yourself with i guess i mean in business or personally people that are smarter than you people from different you know walks of life people with different kind of knowledge sets because you kind of take it and you really become a better person regardless if it's professional or personal here's Here's and I 100% agree with everything you're saying, and it's like that is how that's that's how you get to the next level. But it's we're mental. A lot of us we mentally limit ourselves. So just like the shark in the small tank, how do you remove that tank? So and I don't know if this is true, but I saw a video and it's a cool concept. So you put flies in the jar uh, and you put a lid on it, and you leave the, the lid there long enough. You remove the lid; they'll never go further than where that lid was. When they have offspring, their offspring will not go any further either. So we me- we mentally limit ourselves. So what does that look like? So I've been playing with this concept and I haven't completely ironed it out. So I want to be respectful to all and everyone's way of thinking. But I changed my last name to Awesome and I think it's funny and it's cool, but a lot of people are turned off by it. Like, oh, well, this guy thinks highly of himself. And you'd be correct. I do. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. All right, Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So if that's true, why wouldn't I think I can do everything and anything? So when I changed my last name to awesome, I decide, I made a decision. I made a decision not to be humble because I believe words are powerful. Do you believe that? Do you believe words to be powerful? Yep. I mean, you, I mean, like you said, you should feel like you're, you know, you're the best at it. Why wouldn't you want to be the best at, at whatever, you know? Yeah. So the, the word humble, when you like, when you think about what the word humble means, and if we believe words are powerful, could, could you, if you have your phone on you, can you just look up the word humble? So when, when this started to click for me, was in 2012, when I was suspended, I was for the first time ever, I was angry at myself and I was beating myself up a lot and I couldn't get myself to get back into the gym. I'd work out for a few days and fall off, then work out for a few days and fall off. And I realized, oh, I'm not kind to myself. So read, read me the first definition for humble. This is actually super interesting because I have not done this and I didn't even know this was the actual first definition. Having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. So it's basically devaluing yourself. Devaluing yourself. You know what? Maybe that's a fluke. Read me the second definition. Of low social, administrative, or political rank. Oh. Now, that doesn't sound... Let's go for the third definition. Of modest pretensions or dimensions. Okay, that one was kind of lame. But 
I mean, it still um, demonstrates that it's being self-limiting, basically. Yeah. Now, once I realized, now I, I do respect everyone's religion and their background. Uh, and yes, you, you must be humble in the eye of the Lord. But last time I checked, none of y'all were the Lord. Why are we humble around each other? We, we, we're putting that, that lid on ourselves. I was, uh, I was at a panel recently and one of the guys next to me, they were, they played music and I was kind of bumping my head to it. And someone was like, oh, you like that song? I was like, that's kind of dope. And it's like, oh, that's him. I was like, bro, this is you. And he's like, oh, you know, I, I do a little, little, I was like, no, don't, I mean, say it proud. He's like, well, you know, you got to be humble. And I was like, says who you're promoting your music. Why is this ingrained into us? And if this is ingrained to us to that level, how much are we limiting ourselves? Now, if, 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 if there's no difference between laziness and stupidity, then if you give enough effort, you, be, you can become a genius, right? If that thinking is true, if you're a genius, you can accomplish anything, right? With enough effort, if you can fail without being discouraged, if you can do it enough times and embrace failing, if, if you and I had a decision to make, like a, a real hard decision, like a, a, a decision to figure out, I would have made the wrong decision eight times before you made your first decision. And when I start my ninth, you're starting your first. Guess who has experience on their side? You do. The more we sit around and wait to fail, the less experience we gain. I'm here for the experience, bro. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, that not everybody, almost everybody, like you, you would be probably the 1% because everybody takes uh, a different approach in terms of kind of like, like you said, like being self-limited. So taking the time and not valuing the time and, uh, you know, and you may not fail, you know, you may do it nine times and you may get it the first time. But like you said, like if you, if you do certain alliterations, you're, you're bound to, you know, end up to where you need to be. I mean, it's like if you play chess, I mean, or like a strategy game or whatever, like you learn patterns, you learn what the other person is doing. You learn, you learn as you go because you keep losing. Like you said, you keep losing and you keep learning. Um, I, I mean, th that's kind of like what life is, but a lot of people just get stuck kind of in the monotony. And, you know, it's interesting that fly example, because I think a lot of stuff is really generational. You know, it's like, you know, your parents did this and then they kind of put those limiting beliefs on you. Like, you know, uh, and your grandparents and we're, we're, you know, we were all just this, like, this is like the kind of jobs we, and this is like the, the thought processes and like what we dream to be. Uh, I mean, I see it a lot, like in real life, I'm, I'm a foster parent. So my wife and I fostered 29 kids. And unfortunately that like negative behavior, like the children are, that are now in foster care, their parents were in foster care and then their grandparents were in foster care. So that kind of behavior and that kind of like, I can't change and get out of the rut and out of my situation and environment, it just keeps, you know, perpetuating and perpetuating and you kind of stay in this vicious cycle. Yes. Uh, I figured a way to get out of that cycle. Uh, so I, which worked for me and everything I say, by the way, just, it works for me. And if you, find a variation that works for you. Great. Uh, so I read Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill's book. Uh, and basically you think about money, you make money. I read it. And this was the first book I ever read that I said, I'm doing every single activity. This was the first book I ever decided. This is when I said, well, if, if I value his opinion enough. So I got my journals, I put the stickers, I did the post-it notes. I did, it was a little woo-woo, not really my thing, but I committed uh, it worked. It worked. And I figured if I can do it with money, can I do it with happiness? So what I did was every morning when I woke up, I wrote a list of 10 things I'm grateful for just on a notepad before I look at my phone. Cause our phone is filled with negativity stuff, negative stuff. Every time I go on Twitter, hashtag RIP, someone I grew up loving. It's like people are dying every day now. Oh, people always died every day, but now we're just able to be made aware of it too quickly. So I always leave my phone on do not disturb. And then I write a list of 10 things I'm grateful for. I don't repeat anything on this list. So the next morning I write 10 other things I'm grateful for. 
I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for my car. I'm grateful for my washer. I'm grateful for my dryer. Those are two different things. You can be grateful for everything. Now, if I'm being honest, after like week three of this exercise, it started to take me like 15, 20, 30 minutes to come up with 10 new things. And I really wanted to look at my phone when I woke up in the morning. So what I started to do as a cheat code is I would look for things to be grateful for throughout my day, stored in my memory, so I can call, call it delayed gratification and write my list faster the next day. Now, uh, I went down a TikTok rabbit hole once and I found out about your RAS, your reticular activating system. Have you ever heard of this, Roman? Yes, I've heard of the, the term. So... so uh, so your brain takes in billions of information of every every second, right? Uh, and if you're if you're if I'm looking directly at you and someone is standing about ten feet next to you, I can see them in my peripheral. My brain doesn't look at their facial expressions; it doesn't recognize their facial expressions because they aren't relevant to me. Your brain can only process so much information, so it gives your unconscious mind gives your conscious mind just enough information. Uh, so. What you seek is what you will find, and your RAS acts as a filter. So let's say you decide to buy a yellow car, you go yellow car shopping, and now you just start to see yellow cars everywhere. Yep. It's, it's not that someone painted all the cars yellow. Those cars have always been there, but they haven't been relevant to you because your brain doesn't know about manners. It's not trying to be polite. It's efficient. It doesn't care about your feelings. It doesn't care about who's not relevant, who's relevant. It's showing you what you think is important. It's a machine. Treat it as such. What's the information that you're putting into that machine? Because once I started to look for things to be grateful for all day consciously, guess what I started finding? And it's nothing to be grateful for that that wasn't there yesterday. It's just that I'm I'm able to uncover things to be grateful for. So when people get stuck into that rut, they see, they're reminded every day, oh, this is... This is what your parents weren't. This is what, or this is this is what your parent and they get they fall into that trap. But we have to kind of reset our brains, rewire our brains, rewire the way we think. So I know a lot of people who suffer with anxiety, and they'll say, "Oh, okay," uh, and they'll they'll at the end of the night, like, "All right, I'll call, have a good night. I'm gonna go, uh, I'm gonna go watch three hours of murder mysteries before bed." If you're watching the news and all you see is death and destruction. When you go out in your everyday life, what do you think you're going to find? Death and destruction. When I said earlier, when I started eating specific foods, when I started eating specific foods, those were the foods that I craved. Those are the foods that I found. Those are the foods that I liked. So what you put out is what you will also get back. How much time are we putting in the energy that we're putting out there? My journal now, because I've been doing it for over two years, has I've been doing that for about two years now, and uh, I re- never repeat a thing there. It takes me about three to five minutes every morning to write 10 things I'm grateful for. It's just a running tally of things going right in my life. How often do we stop to talk about the things that's not going right in our lives? Another layer to this journal is I don't add anyone's name to this list unless I reach out to them that day out of context and tell them that I love them. Here's why. Because if, if, if I can just write any random name, I just write 10 names every morning and just keep it moving. This forced me to be intentional. So now I'll just send a picture of like, uh, I'll text a friend, hey, I sent my friend a picture of us having lunch in San Diego years ago. It's like, hey, love you. Can't wait to have lunch with you again sometime. Take care. That was my, so now I can add her name to the list that morning. Now, because I do that, I know that makes her happy. Like she's going to see that picture. She's going to feel good about it. That makes me feel good. She's going to respond. That's going to make me feel good. Like, and now I've been doing this for over two years, almost two years. Uh, friends randomly text me that they love me. They don't even know why they're doing it. That's how contagious gratitude is. It's just rewiring your brain and rewiring the energy you put out. When I walk into a room smiling and I I got good energy, do you know what people greet me with? Even if they're not at their best, they get it there. Everyone perks up. 
because energy is contagious, even if they don't notice it and they start to feel in a better mood. And then they're like, oh, when Cam comes around, everything's good. No, Cam's just smiling. It's just the energy you put out. Yeah. And I think, like you said, being, having gratitude and being grateful, whatever your circumstance, I think is key. And um, I mean, one way of, I, th- I think people do it, people that have traveled, obviously you said you've uh, boxed internationally and you see how people live, um, you know, in the lifestyle and you truly like come back to the U S and you're indirectly grateful to begin with a lot of people. I mean, yeah, us has its problems, this, that, or the other, but you know, I welcome anybody to, to travel and not travel to like tourist zones. Like you go in, like you want to talk about a hood in the U S go to a hood somewhere else. Like in, you know, a favela in Brazil or like, you know, I'm from Eastern Europe from Ukraine where it's like one, like Soviet okay. block hey, apartment. It's like 50 times. Yeah. 50 times from Lviv, Ukraine. I was born there and then I immigrated here and it's just like, you, you know, you, you get a sense of, you know, who you are and appreciate, you know, what you've become and what you have kind of now as well. Oh yeah. It, it was, I've been to over 30 countries, uh, been to Kiev a couple times. I have an amazing story there. I went to fight in a tournament and I fought the guy from the hometown guy. I drew him the first day of this tournament and like, Y'all go hard because they came out with like drums and all this type of stuff. The crowd was going crazy for them and I won and I was so afraid because I won. Clearly, I was so afraid like to be there because I dominated and I just went to the bus. I left and I was afraid to go to the tournament the next day because I thought the people from Ukraine was going to be mad at me. And I showed up the next day and these people made signs and had flags and was there to support me. And because I beat their guy, they started to cheer for me the ent- for the, throughout the rest of the tournament. And I had like thousands of people cheering for me as if I was like the hometown guy. And that was like a cool experience in Ukraine. Yeah. you. I mean, obviously like boxing wise, there's a lot of heavyweights and good boxers coming out of Ukraine in general. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately what's going on now, but people are very welcoming and very kind of, uh, you know, positive and supportive. So. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good people. Uh, so what's one piece of advice? Obviously we, we kind of went in depth in, in several topics, but what's one piece of advice. If you can leave with the audience, what can you leave in terms of one piece of advice? Uh, I, I would say take the time to, to cultivate your reality. So, uh, Perfect example, if we're, you and I are sitting at a coffee table and a spider comes down, you're not afraid of spiders. I'm terrified of spiders. Spider comes down. We both see it at the same time. I scream. My heart starts pounding. I start shaking. I am in physical. I think I'm in danger. My body response, I'm in danger. In my reality, I'm in danger. You, you're all right. You're kind of laughing at me a little bit. In your reality, you're okay. In objective reality, we're both going to be okay. But in my reality, it's real. So we can have two different realities sitting right next to each other. Doing things like practicing gratitude and looking for things to be grateful for and omitting certain things out of your life because you control your timeline. I'm big on timeline control. I follow like 100 people on Instagram because I love more than 100 people, but there's not more than 100 people I can follow. Because if everyone has a bad day and I follow 3,000 people, everyone has a bad day a week, I'm seeing 3,000 bad weeks, days. So Instagram is a billion-dollar industry. They, every fifth post is an ad. So they make billions of dollars off of 20% of your timeline. What value are you getting out of the other 80%? A lot of people talk about social media as negative. No, you follow negative pages. I follow dogs wearing people clothes. When I open up Instagram, I see a dog with a briefcase in his mouth. It's adorable. That's how I start my day sometimes. And there's some people you can't unfollow. We call those uncles and aunts. You can mute those people. Control your reality. If you're watching the news, if you watch the news and you haven't taken, this is a look in the mirror moment. If you're watching the news and you haven't taken action, physical action in the last seven days from something you've learned from the news, then that is not information. That's entertainment. And if you're going to entertain yourself with something, let it be something a little more positive. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, if uh, another exercise I had uh, when I was in college, they said, watch the news and jot down all of the uh, segments. How much of those is actually negative versus positive? And there's usually everything negative, like you said earlier, you know, murder, crime, you know, war, famine, so on and so forth. So how do you, uh, you know, how would you stay upbeat about life in your own circumstances, in your own world, if all you're getting bombarded with is, you know, negative, you know, that what's the point if the world is this bad? What's the point of, you know, being positive and, you know, striving for greatness when, you know, all this negativity is inevitable? Yeah, yeah. So I really appreciate you stopping by today and the conversation we had. Can you tell the audience how they can find you or anything else you have going on? Yeah. Uh, so right now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on the uh, go hard or go home tour and I forgot my house key. So I am uh, basically on the road. I'm just continuing to book days out. I'm working on booking out uh, April. So I'm a keynote speaker. I speak at corporations. Uh, I speak on resilience and gratitude. Uh, about finding the silver lining in the clouds and how to keep on going. Uh, I've also been to over 30 countries as captain of the USA national boxing team, where I would learn the do's and don'ts about each country and then relay the message to my teammates. So we don't make ourselves look like idiots. Uh, so I've learned a lot about culture in different countries. And so I speak about cultural communication in the workplace. Uh, and I also speak at high schools and middle schools and do stand-up comedy. So if you're looking for me, want to get in touch with me, uh, you can look, find me at www.camawesome.com or at camfawesome on all social media. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks, Rome. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.